Welcome to Life And. I'm your host, Tanya Verkaitis. Life And is a new storytelling podcast centered on first-person, true experiences created in partnership between the Lackawanna and Luzerne Medical Societies, Scranton Fringe, and Park Multimedia. As you may know, each episode features a different storyteller who will tell their story in their own words. We continue our first season exploring experiences and narratives dealing with substance misuse. This episode's story comes from Ryan Taylor. Ryan Taylor is a person in recovery who uses his own experience to help others as a certified recovery specialist. Ryan's story is one of not just generational substance use, but community use as well. Listen as he shares with us how he began to find peace and continues to be a constant process of growth. Please be aware that some of the content may be a trigger for some listeners. If you or someone you know needs help, one of the resources you can use is SAMHSA's National Helpline. You can receive confidential free help from public health agencies to find substance use treatment and information at 1-800-662-4357. My name is Ryan Taylor and I'm a person in recovery from substance use disorder. As a direct result of that, I get to be a father, son, friend, and a productive member of society. And today I wanted to tell you all some of my story in the hopes that it will help anyone that feels like they're alone to see that they're not alone. So most of my early childhood, um, you know, like I was raised by my single or by my mother who was single. We had an abnormal childhood, but for the most part, my mom did everything she could to make make it the best she could for us. Mentally, when I grew up, there was a lot of a lot of negativity in my life with the way that I saw things. Um, I was very upset that I lived in a rural area and that there wasn't much to do. Um, And growing up with a lot of, even though my dad wasn't around much in my early childhood, I was around a lot of people that my dad grew up with. And a lot of those people used to glorify stories of, you know, crimes and partying and all these things that him and my, that they and my dad did in the past. And I grew up kind of idolizing that with the mentality that the, the government and the police were just out to get us, that they weren't right. And that they were targeting us for no reason and things like that. The, I began to idolize that lifestyle and wanted to become part of it. And even the mentality of a lot of um, kids my age in school, everybody, you know, talked about like, if you, if you did drugs, you know, it kind of made you look cooler than other people. The harder you use, the harder drugs you use, the cooler you were, um, you know, and we even tried to, you know, we used to have contests amongst us to see about like what crimes we could commit and things like that. Um, you know, the bigger thing you could do and pull off you know, the better, the higher up on the score you got. And I know that kind of sounds a little crazy, but that was where we were at when we were kids. When I was 12, my mother got cancer and I began taking care of her and my siblings. 
and we, I did a lot to try to take care of her and help her out with the chores and stuff around the house. Once she was cleared, I decided that I wanted to move to New York. Um, my dad was living out there and I really wanted to play football and I, and I, I felt like football was going to be my only opportunity to get out of this area. When I moved, when I moved out to New York, I felt like everything was going to be better. Like I had an opportunity to change my life around and it really was, I didn't really have too much issues when I lived out there. I, you know, I worked a couple of different jobs. I played football. I played for a very good football team and I also coached a youth league with my dad. And I had made like a lot of plans to go to college after high school and things like that. It was, I really felt like for the first time that I want, that I had an opportunity to get out of the area that I grew up in and be able to make something of myself. I had the mentality that I felt like everyone that was around here in town was just stuck here and was never going to do anything with themselves. Most of the people that I grew up with were using drugs and drinking. It's a common thing around our air, you know, in rural areas for people to hang out in bars. And that's kind of like the go-to thing for people to do on the weekends. I ended up moving back to Pennsylvania when I was 16 um, because we needed to take care of my grandparents. But coming back here was not a good thing for myself or my dad. As soon as we came back, we both fell right back into that lifestyle. Uh, my home became a or like a centralized location for everybody to hang out. We used to throw parties, do all this different stuff. Um, by the time I was 19, like I had pretty much been out on my own since I was, um, since I was 16, I let my dad was in and out of jail. Um, you know, it was just a craziness going on all the time. After a car accident I was in and the place that I was working got closed down, uh, my cousin said, I was talking to my cousin from Virginia and he had mentioned to me that he's like, you should join the army. He's like, you can come do the same thing that I'm doing. And, you know, he made it sound really appealing. And I thought to myself, this is an opportunity for me to do something, to get myself out of here again and to be able to make something of myself. So I joined when I was 19 and I did, um, I did tours in Korea and Baghdad. I did very, very well while I was in the military. I, you know, I did have, I was still using off and on. Um, but for the most part, I was able to keep everything under control. Um, I didn't get in any trouble while I was in the military and, and, um, I even got married and had two kids while I was in. One thing I didn't really think about while I was in, and in hindsight, I looked at it, was the culture of the military kind of fed into my, to my issues that I had because the culture in the military is work hard, play harder. Um, drinking is a huge part of the military culture, especially in the barracks, um, and I used other things, but mostly everything that I used other than alcohol was things that wouldn't rather wouldn't come up in a drug test or came out pretty quickly. I was pretty good about hiding everything. Um, while I was in Korea, I, I, I received an injury to my shoulder and then I was able to get back on track after that for a little while. And then when I, while I was in Iraq, I ended up getting hurt again and did more damage to my knees and my back. 
I was prescribed pain medication right after I came back. I decided to get out of the military because I was, at that time, I felt like I was just more angry at a lot of the bureaucracy that went on in the military. But, you know, like in hindsight, a lot of it played into my own mentality. And I probably would have been more successful if I stayed in. But, you know, can't go back and change the past. I did receive an honorable discharge. When I was discharged from the military, I had already been diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I made several attempts to try to get help for it, but I was very cautious. I felt like I didn't know, like I felt like it wasn't, my issues weren't as bad as other people's were. Um, I felt like there was people that had been in far worse things than I had while they were deployed and kind of used that mentality to kind of keep myself from reaching help or engaging in more than the bare minimum. Um, over time, I slowly became more and more dependent um, on the pain medication and eventually uh, eventually the VA took, took me off of them, which was partially my idea. I wanted to come off of them, but I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. Um, when I got out, I, I didn't feel like I fit into society anymore. I, I struggled to maintain jobs. I really didn't like being around anybody. I didn't interact with many people outside of my immediate family and a few friends. And then even most of those friends were people that I used with. I had a lot of anger issues that even at the time I didn't realize I had, but eventually like I came to the realization that I, I had a lot of anger issues that I needed to address. Um, my wife at the time was um, an Iraq vet as well. So she had her own PTSD issues and substance use issues that she was dealing with. And um, I spent a lot of the first couple years in and out of the mental health units at the VA. I was current, I was living in Wilkesbury at the time when I realized that, you know, like my substance use had become an issue. I was underneath a bridge in Wilkesbury and I had just seen my dealer and I realized I had absolutely no money left and I hadn't paid any of my bills. I hadn't done anything. And that was when it kind of hit me that, you know, like maybe this is a problem and I need to ask for help. At that point, I really didn't trust a lot of people at the VA. Um, there was only one individual that, that I knew I could go to and talk to. So I hopped on the bus up to the VA hospital. I went into her office and I just spilled my guts. I said, this is, you know, this is what's going on. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? I made three trips to the, the treatment facility at the VA in Wilkesbury. I always did exceptionally well while I was in there. The first week was always tough. And after my second trip to treatment, I decided to go do a PTSD inpatient program um, at the Coatesville VA, which lasted about four months. While I was in there, I did intense therapy to work on my PTSD. And even prior to that, like I told myself, I can't do that. I can't be away from my son that long. Um, so for me, it was really, really hard to, to talk myself into going and doing that. Um, but I realized once I was there that I, it was the right thing for me to do. And even while I was there, not everyone in the PTSD unit had a history of substance use. 
Um, but for those that did, we had what was called the AA and NA coordinator. When I got almost every time that I got out of treatment, um, I would dive into 12 step programs, go to meetings. I would try to do service work. I try to do whatever I could, but it never really stuck with me. Um, I couldn't commit to certain parts of the program and I just would slowly deteriorate. When eventually I, my son was taken, my sons were taken away from me and my wife and my wife left and moved back to Virginia after going through treatment. When I went to treatment for the third time, I went to, I went back to the Wilkes-Barre VA and while I was there, I kind of had this clarity where I thought to myself, I realized what I wanted to do with my life and I wanted to help people. I always enjoyed helping people while I was in treatment and I always felt good about myself and it gave me something to look forward to. After um, my reoccurrence of use, after my third trip to treatment, I felt like I was hopeless. There was nothing that I could, that I felt I could do um, to help me get out of this. I felt like because I couldn't get this program to work for me, that I must be a lost cause. I felt hopeless. I felt lost. I didn't even want to be around anybody, even my family. I didn't even want to be close to them. So... Before I went to treatment for the fourth and final time, I had gotten to a point where I felt like I didn't even want to live anymore. I decided to give myself one more try in treatment, and I asked somebody to take me to the VA and drop me off. At the time, I was in such bad shape that I didn't even realize that they transferred me back to Coatesville instead of putting me in the unit in Wilkes-Barre. When I got there, it was like a completely different program. There was a lot of downtime um, and there was a lot more recreational things people could do. But in my mind state at the time, I was like, I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to get myself straightened out. I felt like I wasn't learning anything new because I had been through the program so many times. But I still knew that the more repetition that I went through, the more I would it would sink in. I always picked up something new. So I wasn't against doing the work that they had given me, but I felt like I needed more. So I asked for more. And almost every time I asked for something more, they basically gave me the same worksheets over and over again. So I didn't really feel like anything was helping. So I started kind of looking into my own stuff and trying to see what I could find that would assist me with my own recovery. And one of the things that I noticed that every night on the unit, they gave you an opportunity to go to one of two mutual aid support groups. They had a 12-step meeting in one room and a SMART recovery meeting in another. And for SMART, it was more or less learning how to change the way that you think and change the way that you view yourself in the world. And it uses different tools from evidence-based therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, rationally motive behavioral therapy, and motivation enhancement therapy. And when I, after my first meeting, it was like a light switch turned on in my head. And I started realizing what I needed to do. 
Um, I started to try to work on empowering myself to do the things that I wanted to do with my life. I dove into researching as much about SMART as I could. Um, within the first couple of days, I was actually asked to take over the meeting because the patient that was running them before was leaving. So while most other people in my unit were spending their free time out you know, going to the pool or, you know, playing volleyball, stuff like that. I was in my room studying so that I could, we could run the group at the end of the night. And this kind of helped me realize what I want or something that I could do that would help me help others. And I decided that I was going to bring smart recovery back to Wyoming County. And I start because of SMART, I learned a lot of different things about setting goals and creating plans for myself. So I made a list of long and short-term goals that I wanted to set for myself. And some of them were, like I said, bringing SMART to Wyoming County. Um, I decided that I wanted to become a social worker. So I knew that I needed to get all my things straightened out so I could go back to school having the GI Bill. And I also wanted to get custody of my sons back. While there were other goals, those were the most important to me. So I started creating these plans. So I knew as soon as I walked out of that treatment facility that I could already start working on myself. I continued to work on those goals. And it, for the first time in years, I actually felt like I had hope like that I could do this, that I didn't have to follow in the same footsteps as my father did. I got involved, I got involved with an organization called Young People in Recovery. There was a new chapter that had started here in Wyoming County. And I decided to check it out, check one of the meetings out. And I kind of realized that this was something that I needed as well. Um, the organization gave me a lot of resources, a lot of networking, a lot of experience. Um, you know, like I was able to advocate. I learned how to advocate for others. I learned how to, you know, talk with politicians about things that issues that concerned us, um, not just me, but the recovery community as well. And it really helped me a lot of, with a lot with my goals. The more that I got involved with YPR and the more work that I did with them, it allowed me to kind of get experience helping others that will transfer over into my career. So today I am, I love the life that I have today. Everything, every day I continue to work on bettering myself and I always, I want to better myself, not just for me, but for me to be able to make myself a better helper for those people that are still struggling. Um, you know, like my son, my, my youngest son lives with me. Um, even though me and my ex-wife have been separated for a long time, we have a pretty decent relationship. We co-parent, we try to do what we can I'm not saying we don't have our issues, but, uh, I am two classes away from an associate or from an associate's degree for social work. Um, all the work that I did with Smart Recovery, they asked me to be the regional coordinator for the state of Pennsylvania. So from everything that I talked about today, I wanted to leave you with a little antidote that I someone once said to me, life is unfair. 
the best we can do is to make it unfair to your advantage. And at first, the first time I heard that, it never really sat with me. It never really clicked until I thought about it in the standpoint of all the bad things that happened to me in my life, all the struggles and things that I had to go against throughout my life. It made me the person that I am today. And it allows me to use all those experiences to help other people that are still struggling. A lot of people, a lot of people look up, you know, look up to me and come to me. I even had a couple of people say that to me the other day that one, a couple of different clients that said, um, you know, like I was one of the only people that's always been there for them. And because of that, because of all those experiences, many people can relate to me. So in a way I felt like that's what I did. You know, I took all those unfair things that happened to me in my life and I used them to create a career. I used them to help other people. And I will continue to do that as long as I can. Thank you for having me. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me was this fact that you were constantly looking to improve yourself, even from an early age. It's like you knew there was better, you knew there was more, um, and you're still doing that, right? So kudos to you. I did have a question for you. Um, you talked about PTSD after having left the military. And I was wondering if you think that you may also have PTSD from your childhood. You mentioned that it was abnormal. And I think some of the things you shared definitely sound, um, you know, not the norm, June Ward Cleaver. So do you believe that you also had PTSD from your childhood? Absolutely. And it wasn't until I started doing the work that I do now that I realized like what trauma truly is. It doesn't necessarily have to be something like combat related. Right. Um, trauma can affect anyone. You know, anything can traumatize someone. It just depends on how they, you know, how they view or how they handle the situations. And, and we, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that was, I, like I said, even with this, with my mom having cancer, you know, everything that kind of went on, I, I do believe that I probably had those issues long before the military. I think the military just compounded them to a point that, you know, that's when I kind of felt lost. Right. I think also trauma is relative, right? You know, what might be traumatic for me might not seem traumatic to you. And I don't think that we can you know, develop a range for trauma. The other thing that I find interesting is the fact that you were a caregiver to your mom and you have this caregiver mentality now, right? So that was always a part of you. Um, where, I just curiously wonder, do you see people from your childhood? Where are these people now? Is there anyone doing the same sort of work you do or, you know, have they stayed the same? So ironically, it was kind of funny that when I got involved with YPR, um, our chapter lead at the time was someone that I knew from my childhood that I didn't get along with. And now he's one of my closest friends and allies. Wow. I consider him a mentor. I do see a lot of people come into my agency or they'll reach out to me for help because they know who I am. They know that 
they can trust me. They know that I can relate to them. So a lot of times I have people that come in through here that I known from the past, or, you know, they may be related to somebody that I knew. Um, even prior to the recording of this, you know, like I was helping somebody that reached out to me because I helped their brother in the past. Wow. So where would you say Ryan is now in his effort to make something of himself? I feel I've come a long way, but I still have a long way to go. <laughs> That's a great way to end things. <laughs> and I agree. I also feel as though I'm a work in progress. Thank you, Ryan, for sharing your story again. I really appreciate it. And I believe that your story will be helpful to others. No problem. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy being able to do stuff like this. This podcast and the ability to share stories like Ryan's can only grow with your help. Please subscribe, share, and review Life and on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, be it iTunes, Spotify, or any other site, your support means a great deal. We are also accepting stories for next season, which will focus on stories of isolation. With the pandemic, we're all feeling a little isolated right now, but there are so many other types of isolation, whether it be from family because of distance, loved ones because of incarceration, your community because of mental illness, or even yourself because you don't feel like you belong in your own body. As we share stories under the umbrella of substance use, we have to acknowledge the causes of misuse, and mental health is a top priority. If you're interested, please find us at Life And on Facebook or send an email to lifeandpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that again, that is Life And on Facebook or send an email to lifeandpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Park Multimedia and Scranton Fringe for their collaboration on this podcast. Until next time, dear listeners, remember to breathe and make time for stories, yours and others.